Master Tavern Keeper's History of the Old World. Neophytes, I know for some of you it may feel that we have darted around the history of Numas somewhat haphazardly, but I want you to try and picture each of our previous talking points as places where threads overlap. If you look at them in isolation, they may seem unconnected, but as you move away, the whole web should come into view. This you must do for yourself, though, as your tutor. I can but teach. I can neither force you to see nor learn. That is wholly within your own ken. However, that said, let me at least illuminate the way. In our current discussion, there is a direct line from the reign of Ramotep to that of Nagash. It was Ramotep, the Scarab King, who was primarily responsible for the deaths of Rakath III's heirs, forcing him to take a second wife, Rasut, whose scheming then killed off the remaining children of the king, leaving her own child as the only heir apparent. Upon the death of Rakath and Rasut's ascension to the throne, it was Ramotep's strategic and tactical prowess that kept the armies of Khemri at bay. However, the stalemate spurred on envious eyes in Numas, and this resulted in the assassination of the Scarab King and the weakening of Numas. But the aging Rasud was still not able to capitalize on it, and this facilitated the rise of Ketep in Khemri, the father of Nagash. Upon Rasud's death, he murdered her infant son, took the throne, and in the subsequent years conquered all of Nehekara, including Numas. That was until his reign was cut short by the priest king of Zandri, Nekumet, who slew Ketep in battle over a trade dispute. Nagash's brother, Futep, then came to the throne until his own place was usurped by Nagash himself. And so, with that little summary of the wider implications of the Scarab King's reign out of the way, let us now finish our discussion of Numas by looking at the legacy of Ramotep in Numas itself. The Scarab King was arguably Numas's greatest general, or at least on a par with Imrafepis, the Crimson King. Although I don't want to get into that argument right now. No, instead, let us look at two very different revenants. Both descendants of the Scarab King himself, both of whom stand apart from the other tombkins of Nehekara, and both of whom are very much still with us today. Oh, 
I did not expect this story to get contemporary. <laughs> Neither did I. But the more I'm speaking, the more I am remembering. And as Tamo always used to say, when the words are flowing, it is always best to go with the flow. <sighs> Alas, poor Tamo. What? Why? What happened to Tamo? Why? Why are you looking up at that school with the black teeth upon the uh, bookshelf? Wait, is is that is that Tamo? Ah, indeed. Yes, it is. I thought it just a decoration for my room. Ah, well, the tavern is small, and for the amount of stuff that I've got, well, space is limited. Ah, yeah, I see. And uh, Tamo too, like Arkan the Black in ancient times was also partial to a bit of a juicesh root, hence the black teeth. It was actually from his stash that I tried some, but it was not for me. Anyway, the fate of Tamo is a tale for another time. Let us press on to Ramotep's direct descendant. Instead, the current ruler of Numerus, the Golden Prince, Tutankhanun. Now, during my time circumnavigating the Southlands, our ship, the Ava Phantom, happened to end up in the Great Mortis River itself, whilst we were heading up towards East Hylia to trade the goods that we had gotten from Café. We did not go too far up the river, for a great deal of it is now silted shallow, and it is inhabited by terrifying undead monstrosities. Instead, we dropped the anchor where the waters were still deep and, admittedly, against the advice of my tutor, a few of us decided to do some exploring with a local trader named Sully, who also acted as a guide. Ten men, including myself and Tamo, set out on the endeavour, but only I was lucky enough to survive the ill-fated expedition, and only I escaped the clutches of the desert, thanks to the aid of a... Uh, wandering tribe of Tuareg. Again, I'll uh, tell you the whole tale one day, but uh, not today. Anyway, it was soon after weighing anchor that we were greeted by Sully. He was an interesting fellow, despite his uh, pushiness. And for our purposes here, he was a fortunate person to have met, as he had actually been to Numas. He came to our boat every day, arriving just after dusk, every evening and leaving just before dawn with what seemed like a very well-practiced speech in an uh, attempt to get us to hire his services as a guide. I neither saw him eat nor drink, but he would talk for hours by the firelight, regaling us with the stories of treasures unearthed by both his own customers and those of his ancestors. What was most curious was that each tale, even those of yesteryear, were told with such intricate detail, as if the clients he spoke of had been his own and not those of his ancestors. Are you sure that they weren't? What? What do you mean? Well, I think they were. I, I, I think so. H how could they have been his clients? What are you thinking, Heinrich? Oh, nothing, nothing. Please, continue. Right, well, so I will. Sully claimed that he was the son of Sully, 
and hailed from a long line of Sullies, who originally came from the city of Bel Aliad. This is a city that has been attacked and sacked by the undead more times than I have fingers over the last uh, two and a half thousand years, beginning with the uh, millennia-long War of Death, instigated by Arkan the Black against the tribes of Araby. And it was Arkan that first raised the city. Yeah, yeah, that is so. I know of Bel Aliad. I have heard much about it from my friend, Vendel. When he worked for the uh, necromancer, Valdotain, he had to deal with an Arabian vampire on a regular basis. This vampire claimed that he was an ancient high priest of something called the uh, Cult of Mordig. He had uh, escaped the first destruction of Bel Aliad all those years ago, apparently. Vendel said that the uh, vampire's body was covered in the uh, tattoos of the cult's holy writings, and he wore a silver ceremonial mask and purple robes. What? By holy Namud, that is exactly the garb of Sully and his companions. That explains so much. Excuse me, I think I need a drink. I can't believe I didn't see it. Well, I'll go into that story another time once I've fully taken on board this new uh, revelation. And I really do think I need to have a chat with your friend, Vendel, as well. Ah, yeah, yeah, but of course. After we have returned from slaying the usurper, Marco Broglio, we will have plenty of time to talk, I am sure. Ah, indeed. Uh, Anyway, back to the guide. Ah, I mean, uh, vampire. Sully, then. I still can't believe it. Well, anyway, he regaled us with his uh, pitch to take us to Namas so often that I had memorised it myself by his fifth telling. I had uh, stupidly mentioned that I had an interest in the city, as I'm sure you too have come to appreciate. He had this to say about Numas. Perhaps you would strike out to the east, for here lies the city of Numas. It is a treacherous route, and one which the traveller should tread carefully. You would find yourself passing the springs of eternal life. However, although your canteens would by this time be running low, do not feel tempted to drink of the water. I have witnessed a man do so, and... Trust me, the immortality he was granted was not one that I envy. No sooner had his lips touched the water than I stood, horrified, as before my eyes his skin withered and he perished in mere seconds. I was rooted to the spot as I watched his skeleton form march into the desert, heedless of my presence. 
Now, I imagine he serves the tomb kings, an undying slave at their command. In Numas, they know my name and welcome me, but I am one of a handful of people that is allowed passage through the city gates. In Numas, life has returned to the desert and once again crops grow around the city. Numas is a marvelous place and over many centuries the pyramids have been restored to their former glory. But do not be fooled into thinking that the people there would welcome you. So, as Sully said, and as we alluded to earlier, Numas today is very different from all the other dead cities of the Tomb Kings, for its walls still bear the living within them. Not anybody, of course, but rather a very select group, the fearsome, formerly nomadic, tribe of the desert, the Scythians. And so, let me explain why. After the defeat of Nagash, a descendant of Rabhotep, the Scarab King, called Arkan, heir apparent to Seheb and Nuneb, took the throne following the deaths of the twin priest kings of Numas in the subsequent power struggle between the seven cities. Under his steady hand, both he and the city became very wealthy once more. The king had only one son, Tutankhanut, who was famed throughout Nehekara for his golden, demigod-like beauty and good looks, some even calling him an avatar of the sun god Petra himself, for truly so handsome were his features. Alas, tragedy struck, and the young prince was slain as he approached his 15th birthday, the threshold at which boys came of age in ancient Nehekara. He had been out hunting lions in the fertile lands to the south of the city, for, like many in Numas, he was a most skilled bowman, one papyrus scroll even stating that he was able to hit the eye of a cobra from atop his speeding war chariot at 30 paces. On that particular day, he had become separated from the rest of his hunting party. Unbeknownst to the tomb prince, a group of men from one of the northern tribes, who long ago had been defeated by the Scarab King, and whose tribe had sworn vengeance against the line of Ramhotep, lay in wait for Tutankhanut. They lured the beast that the prince had been hunting to where they lay in wait, and as he got close, they hurled a barbaric spear at the noble. The thrower's aim was true, and it crashed into his chest, throwing him from his chariot to the ground, where he was set upon by the other tribesmen. It was only moments before the members of the Sphinx Legion charged with protecting the prince, caught up with their liege and hacked down the attackers, but it was tragically already too late. The legionnaires bore the body of Tutankhanut back to his father before committing ritual suicide, but they were not interred within the tomb of their lord as they had hoped. Instead, their bodies were fed to the jackals of the desert, 
who tore their cadavers to shreds, sucked on the marrow from their cracked bones, and then cast them hither and thither in the deep desert. Such was the fate of those who failed the king. The heartbroken Arkan then gave Tutankhamut an elaborate burial, as is traditional, but never recovered from the loss of his child, until his own untimely demise too cut his life short, as you will soon hear. Many years later, in the aftermath of the great plagues of Nagash that killed off the living of Neakara, and then the great ritual of Nagash that brought the dead back to life, the young king Tutankhamut too awoke from his death sleep. Tutankhamut, as were many of his contemporaries, it has to be said, was horrified at his withered skeletal form. This is not what had been promised by the silver-tongued adherents of the mortuary cult. According to Nehekaran beliefs, the gods would bestow on each king a perfect body of gold. The undead boy king was incandescent with rage, a furious echo of his forebear the Scarab King, upon discovering that this was not the case, and immediately demanded that his priests fulfil their promise. This they did, and the artisans and priests of Numas fashioned their king a body of gold as beautiful and radiant as any statue to their gods. And it is no mere ornamentation, for when Tutankhamut arises from his tomb, resplendent in his golden body and death mask, the blessings of Petra are indeed upon him, and even though he fights in the thick of battle, his golden form preternaturally deflects even the most powerful blows. This has allowed him to lead his armies to victory after victory in defence of his city, and Numas has grown strong. Away from the battlefield too, the favour of the Solar Trinity is upon his rule. Under the reign of Tutankhamun, despite the brevity of his life and perceived lack of rulership experience, Numas has been rejuvenated and thrives. Its buildings gleam with their former glory and crops sway in the breeze in the fields around the city. These are tended to by the aforementioned Scythians, who forsook their nomadic life and came to the city to worship their solar god, Oitosailos, for they believe that the golden prince of Numas is a manifestation of their deity, and they have dedicated themselves to his service, be that in peace or war. For when the prince goes into battle, the still-living people of Numas too hearken to his call, and his chariots race alongside the white Arabian steeds of the Scythian warriors, the living and the dead fighting side by side. Prince Tutankhamun's rule over both the living and the dead has now settled into a harmonious equilibrium. Each and every day, cohorts of the living tend to the necropolis, guarding the tombs from those who would seek to defile them, whilst other black-robed groups of men 
patrolled of deserts, ever ready to warn their divine ruler of any intruders to his realm. In return, he guards them ferociously, and the Scythians are allowed to live in the city under the protection of the undead soldiers of Numas. But their service does not end in death. The Tuareg I knew told me that when a Scythian warrior dies, his body is left in the desert for the carrion to pick the bones clean. After 40 days and nights, the skeleton is then carried back to the necropolis where it is prepared in the traditional way so that the warrior may continue to serve the prince in death as he did when he was alive. And in this way, the living fight alongside their honoured forebears as well as the warriors of yore. However, there is still darkness in Numas, although it is hidden and despised. For it was Numas that spawned the cursed Scarab Lord, Apophis, the murderer of Tutankhamun's father, and a black revenant who is fated to kill for all eternity as he chases an impossible goal.